I definitely would have questioned this until last night when I was at a baseball game. And in between innings, I walked over to say hi to my wife who was sitting in the stands and she had her earbuds in. And I was like, what are you listening to? And she's like, one of my podcasts. I said, oh, is it one? What we do we host it? And she goes, no, I listen to all my podcasts on Patreon. I was like, do you pay for them? She's like, oh, yeah. Um, to be clear, Kevin is a coach of the baseball team, right? So that's why you are not sitting with your wife. I like that. That's true, yeah. <laughs> I got to piece that together. I'm like, wait, you saw your wife in the stands of a baseball game that you were also at? <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Buzzcast. We're so happy to have you here. We got the usual suspects. We all are going by aliases today in our squadcast window. Uh, so we are graced with the presences of Mark Marin, Joe Rogan, and Ira Glass. Say hello, everybody. <laughs> I think us trying to like impersonate their voices is going to be a big mistake. So I think I'm just going to pass on that. We're non-explicit podcast, so I have to change my alias. Well, I I got Ira Glass. I I think I won out on this on this yeah, grouping. Fine. Yeah, I I'm supposed to be visibly visibly frustrated at all times. That's that's <laughs> that's my role as Mark Marin. Well, and we need to hear you smoking. Background. <laughs> uh, it's just been one of those one of those days but we have a lot to get to in this episode so let's go ahead and jump right into it let me know if you've heard this one before there is a new company promising to help podcasters make money Ooh, nice who's that okay, tell me more so there's a new uh well it's actually not a new company but a pivot from an existing company to this new app called pod hero which is trying to at least on the surface seem like it's bridging the gap between luminary which is an app that's trying to be the netflix of podcasts where you pay for a subscription you get uh exclusive content trying to bridge the gap between that and patreon where it's like purely listener supported but you have to do a lot of extra work to make that happen uh, so they they walk through this their approach in a Medium article that I'll link in the show notes. But it just it raises the question yet again: podcasters trying to either supplement the costs of putting their podcast together or trying to make a little side hustle out of it. What's the best way to do that? And is asking your podcast listeners to directly support your podcast content a viable option? Yeah, one of the things that we read in prep for this was uh, Variety had an article about you know the Pod Hero stuff. And one of the things that was super interesting to me was they actually have, have you actually paid for a podcast at some point? They did like a, there's like a YouGov study and 17% of people said they've actually paid. So that seemed kind of high. 17% of people who listen to podcasts have paid. Well, and that number was even higher for daily podcast listeners. It was something like 37%. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't see that part. Yeah, I, I definitely would have questioned this until last night when I was at a baseball game and in between innings, I walked over to say hi to my wife who was sitting in the stands and she had her earbuds in and I was like, what are you listening to? And she's like, one of my podcasts. I said, Oh, is it one that we, do we host it? And she goes, no, I listen to all my podcasts on Patreon. I was like, do you pay for them? She's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> and I had no idea that this That's was crazy. part of our family budget. But evidently <laughs> we're supporting a lot of podcasters on their Patreon. Um, to be clear, Kevin is a coach of the baseball team, right? So that's why you are not sitting with your wife. I like that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to piece that together. I'm like, wait, you saw your wife in the stands of a baseball game that you were also at? <laughs> uh, I'm an assistant coach. I was walking over to coach first base and I saw her listening to something. 
And I'm always curious because we should not be listening to any podcasts that aren't on Buzzsprout, right? Of course. Right. Especially that podcast we were all talking about before we jumped on the air. Oh, we're yeah. definitely going to promote um, Rabbit Hole, the new, a podcast by New York Times. And right. it is. You're jumping so ahead. You're jumping ahead. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. So going back to paying for podcasts, one of the things I thought was hilarious is so 78% of people say they've never paid anything for a podcast. 17% say, yes, I have. 6% say, I don't know if I've paid something for a podcast, which is just an obvious lie. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's a hard no. They have not. <laughs> you did not pay anything for a podcast. It's like, did you donate to this charity? Like, oh, maybe I did. Maybe I did support your charity already. Like, no, you didn't. <laughs> that's people who, when you're walking into the grocery store and they're ringing the bell around the holidays and you walk in on the way in, you're like, I'll give you something on the way out. And on the way out, you're like, I gave you something on the way in. That's well, those people. On the way out, you're like, I think I think I gave money on the way in. That's what they're right. saying. It's like, no, you didn't. Kevin, that's a very well thought through strategy. Did you just come up with that on the fly? I just came up with it. <laughs> yeah. So, so bringing this back to podcasts, Pod Hero, what makes them different than some of these other solutions is rather than you setting up something on your own and saying, go support me on Patreon and creating all this bonus content, essentially creating a part-time job just to support your Patreon subscribers or trying to get picked up in a deal by Luminary. Every some single person that downloads the app pays $5 a month to use the app, but that that $5 is allocated to the podcasts that they follow. So if one of your followers jumps on the app and says, I listen to your podcast and I listen to these three others, that $5 a month gets distributed between those four podcasts. And so it's a way for your listeners to directly support both you and the other podcasts that they like. Right. Minus the pod. What is it called? Pod. Pod hero. Pod hero cut. Which is $0. How do they survive? So they offer the opportunity to donate an additional $1 a month to support app development. So it's four ninety nine. dollars oh, That's nice of them. To, to use the app. And if you like the app and you want them to keep making it better, you can pay five ninety nine, dollars and that extra dollar goes to pod hero cool nice model so i think the the broader conversation is is this like we finally cracked it we we discovered the secret code to support podcasters financially it's this pod hero model or is it just another small pebble in the jar of rocks that we're putting together of you know how to how to figure out what's gonna be best for you yeah i my personal take is i'll be surprised if this catches on like it's a ton of traction but i think it could get some and i like the the imagery that you just described of a jar with lots of pebbles like lots of different ways for independent podcasters to monetize and then some independent podcasters find that these pebbles over here work better for me and somebody else finds that these over here work better for me so i like that i'm not sure how big of a rock this one's going to be because i know that marco arment the guy who creates he's the uh, owner and developer of overcast he experimented with the idea of putting something like this into Overcast. So you could buy some sort of Overcast premium subscription, and then he would see all the podcasts that you played. And if the creators of those podcasts kind of opted into this little idea that he was he was putting together, then he would distribute the money. Um, but then he has a lot of podcaster friends, and he spoke with all of them, and they were all kind of like, well, I want people to listen to my podcast on Overcast or Apple Pocket, wherever they want to listen, I want them to listen. I don't want to kind of force them all to go to one place. 
And I would feel compelled to do that if I was in this world because I would want the benefit of getting paid for those listens. And so at the end of the day, Marco was like, yeah, they just, none of the podcasters that I spoke to were super hot to trot on the idea. So he hasn't built it yet. And this kind of feels like that. You know, do you guys remember the Brave web browser? Yeah. Still around. Yeah. Well, Brave, the whole idea was, it was actually, I'm pretty sure it's a crypto pop project, but it was supposed to be a browser that based on where you went on the web for every, you know, certain amount of reads, it actually was blocked. I think it blocked all ads and it put in its own ads and then it would like distribute that money among all of the people that actually like uh, have the articles. So it was a little bit scammy in that way. But the idea was that they were actually going to like distribute money via cryptocurrency to people who created content online. And there was definitely maybe in like 2017, some hype about it. And people thought it might take off, though it has not, to my knowledge, really done anything. And this kind of feels similar to the the idea of, hey, we'll get people to pay in to us and then we will distribute the money to everybody where, you know, I've given money to quite a few podcasts. Like the way I would do that is just give the money directly to the podcasters that I want to give it to or sign up to pay them through, you know, something recurring through their own service or Patreon or something else. So I, I don't think I would be super attracted to it, but I do like it's always a good idea when people are trying new monetization models, especially around podcasting, because the hope is that there are some that we have not really found yet, and there will be some companies to kind of lead the way. Yeah. For these apps that are trying these different models, it, for me, it very much comes down to the like the, the podcast app listening experience. So I want, I have, I've become very kind of particular around the feature set that I want in a podcast player. Like it has to have, um, for me, it has to have Apple CarPlay compatibility. So when I get in my car, it's got to pop up on my CarPlay screen. Apps that don't have that, it's very hard for me to go all in on that being my listening app. Um, but other things like being able to customize how far you seek ahead or how far you rewind back or can I, every time you play this podcast, skip the first minute for me because it's always a recap of the previous episode that I've already listened to. Um, and so the app that I use has those features built into it. And anytime there's a new one that comes out like this, this might sound great. Like I would love to support the podcast that I listen to. I'd love them to get a piece of the $5 that I pay. But if I load it up and then I get in my car and it doesn't have a CarPlay, you know, functionality, then the chances of me actually sticking with that long-term are pretty low. And so that's, it's a tough market to get into because you have to build a full featured, excellent podcast player first that competes with all the other podcast players. And then I'm interested in your unique business model after that, just as a consumer, as a listener. Right. And it has to be so good that people are willing to leave the convenient option, which is typically Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, the thing they already installed, right. and like right. go out of their way to learn a new app and a new way of listening and stuff like that. Even though I would probably bet money that Podhera's app is considerably better than two of those three options yeah maybe but but you have to convince people that don't even necessarily know that there's more than three podcast playering apps that it's worth trying to find and and do that yeah but then you would have to not only just that you've got to also want for five dollars you're also paying five dollars a month to use that app 
you know, supposedly you're doing it because you're saying like, I really want to support creators, but you don't trust yourself to like send the money to the creators that you like the most, you know? And so that's why I really like, um, we've got the support, the show link in all of our RSS feeds. And I know overcast supports that and a few other players now support it. I really like that because then it actually provides a way for anyone, even if it's a normal, just a standard podcast to start getting direct donations from listeners so that when people are saying like, I want to give $5 to the podcast that I love, they can give it to you. In the last 24 hours, there's been a couple big announcements, big-ish announcements in the podcasting space. One, SiriusXM has acquired a podcast host and looks like they're going to be getting into the podcasting space. And then at the same time, Kim Kardashian just signed a big deal, I assume a big deal, with Spotify to launch her own podcast. And I think it's kind of interesting to kind of take these two together and just talk about some of the moves and consolidation we're seeing in the podcasting ecosystem. Yeah, especially after we talked about the Joe Rogan deal a couple episodes ago. The last episode, we talked about the Amazon podcast rumors. Uh, and we're just seeing this kind of acceleration of acquisitions, right? This acceleration of outside companies wanting to buy their way in. Uh, it's very reminiscent of like when self-driving car tech was kind of new and these car companies were spending like a billion dollars to buy a company that had seven employees and was like six months old, right? Or Facebook acquiring Instagram when it was less than a year old to try and accelerate their path into that kind of social media platform. It feels a bit like that. It feels a bit like these big dogs are chomping at the bit to get pieces of the podcasting space to try and get in and start competing before before it's like one person or one company has gotten too much of the pie to really do anything else. Yeah, and Sirius XM, this isn't their first push into the podcasting space. They own AdsWiz and they own Pandora, right? Mm-hmm. So both of those, um, they, they've been around. They're just kind of expanding their footprint and their offerings and how much, like their suite of services they're going to be able to offer. So they wanted to be able to start hosting shows. They found a small podcast host. They bought them and now they're, they've kind of have the, the entire suite of tools, I didn't actually make the connection between Pandora and Sirius. So that's interesting that you said that, Kev. But, you know, my read on it is this Joe Rogan deal. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much this has actually been affected. Obviously, these talks would have had to have been in place for months before. But there is a bit of me that kind of wonders if some of these deals kind of happened a little bit faster because of Joe Rogan moving to Spotify, kind of came out of the blue shot Spotify's uh, stock price up and got everyone kind of opening their eyes to maybe Spotify actually could pull this whole ecosystem together into their own house. And so it makes me think like then, you know, it was like right after that, we heard Amazon rumors. It was right after that we heard um, now this deal, SiriusXM seems to be taking podcasting more seriously. And then the next day, Spotify's like, oh yeah, and we've got another deal. So not only do we have a deal to do podcasts with the Obamas. We have a deal with Joe Rogan. We've acquired Gimlet and we've acquired The Ringer. We've also got one of the biggest celebrities in American culture now joining in starting her own podcast. Yeah, it's 
shocking how how fast and how well their strategy is being executed. Like you, everyone's heard me criticize. Like, well, I, I've got a lot of concerns about what they're doing and the amount of power that they're acquiring. But you can't like it's hard pressed for me anyway to criticize uh, how well they are executing on what seems to be a really uh, smart strategy. So if you're a Spotify shareholder, congratulations. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They're, they're doing well. And, and on the heels of all these announcements, their stock price keeps taking pretty big jumps. Yeah. Well, it's up quite a bit today and I don't know if that's connected to the Kim Kardashian thing, but I kind of want to, I think it is because, um, they got, they jumped up a ton when they, announced the Joe Rogan deal and those two combined do make it look like there's going to be some content that they were able to get onto the Spotify podcasting platform that groups like Luminary um, were not. So like Luminary got some big celebrities to try to launch new podcasts, but they weren't celebrities that already had podcasts and they weren't podcasts that were already, you know, actually doing well that had listeners. So they were able to grab Trevor Noah and say, come to a show, Russell Brand, come to a show. But now we're talking like next level celebrities. Uh, obviously, uh, pre- pre- former President Obama is not just a celebrity. And then Joe Rogan, the biggest podcaster probably in the world, bringing all those together um, is pretty remarkable. So what would you guys say that if we can contextualize this? For somebody who's an independent podcaster, seeing all this stuff happening, wondering what it means for them, what it means for their show, and kind of the future of what podcasting may look like. What do we want to say about that? One of the positives is you don't want to have just one uh, giant in the room. And for a long time, podcasting was all Apple's space. And for a long time, I kind of was like, Apple's going to do something here and just totally own the space. And they always like, it probably Apple had bigger fish to fry with like launching the iPhone and like making billions of dollars. So they weren't really super focused on podcasting. Then Spotify kind of took a very strong interest in podcasting and started getting stuff moving. And I think it is a good thing for the industry. There's an argument to be made that it's a good thing that it's we're getting, maybe we're getting Amazon. We're definitely getting XM. Google podcast has made quite a bit of moves There's rumors of Apple doing their own branded content. All of that combined kind of makes me think, well, at least there won't be one giant in the room. There'll be six. And that'll at least make it less likely that one is able to totally consolidate the entire market and, you know, kind of squeeze all of the value out of it. That'll if as long as it stays open and diffuse. Um, there's a lot more power that's still in the hands of independent creators. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's, that is a benefit for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit bummed that I don't want, man, and maybe I'm just being a spoiled child, but I don't want to have three or four different apps that I have to load up on my phone to listen to different shows. So I'm not excited about this big push and trend towards exclusive content. I don't want to have to listen to, I, I mean, I was never a huge Joe Rogan fan in the, in the beginning, but there were times when he had people on the show that I wanted to hear that show. Now, the idea that I'm gonna have to load up Spotify just to hear that one episode is, is probably means I'm not going to listen to that show anymore. Um, 
And, and the same thing, if Apple moved into that space, um, if XM starts doing it, it's, it's kind of like where we are right now in the, in the TV and uh, movie world. It's like, um, I don't know if you want to watch Seinfeld. Well, who has Seinfeld right now? Is it Hulu has Seinfeld? Is it Netflix? Is it Amazon prime? I don't know, but I have to, you know, now there's these other services that are coming out. Like the new Apple TV supposedly just tells you, you know, if you search for Seinfeld here, you can listen, you can watch it on stars or Hulu. And it's like, well, great. I don't have stars or Hulu, so I can't watch it right now. Um, it would be nice if we could figure out some sort of technology that all these things could work together in the podcasting space. But one of the things I like the most is that there is this, um, big market. We talked about the beginning of the show of all these independent podcast apps. So you can find the one that matches your habits and your style. Uh, but now more and more, it seems like the industry is moving in a direction where I'll be able to use that app for, you know, 60 or 70% of the podcasts that I listen to, but there's more and more that are going to be outliers that I'm not going to be able to listen to in that app. And again, we'll tease it even further. Like we've all just started listening to the rabbit hole, the New York times podcast, the New York times is creating really great shows, but are they going to be able to remain open and independent or are they going to get brought into one of these, you know, silos where now I have to listen to the New York times podcast in the New York times podcast app, or is Spotify going to license that content or is luminary going to license that content or is Apple going to license that content? And now you're locked into their player if you want to listen to it. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a few reasons to not like it. Obviously the creators, you know, some of them are being paid pretty handsomely. And so that's a positive for them, especially when you have multiple big groups bidding for your content and your audience, you're able to get a better deal. So that's a positive. The downside is whenever you go exclusive, you are obviously limiting your audience size and your growth potential. And I wonder this as well for like podcasts that go behind a paywall, as you limit your audience the attractiveness of going onto your show is like a guest is has to be diminished. Again, I might be old school here, but I like like uh, what Mark Marin did with WTF and he was a Stitcher premium podcast. So you got specific benefits of being a Stitcher premium subscriber. It was four ninety nine a month. I think you got access to his entire back catalog. But if you didn't, you could still like Again, I'm an overcast listener and I also like good pods. If I want to listen to the Mark Marin WTF podcast, I can find it on those apps. Now I don't have access to his whole back catalog. I think he only has one or two episodes out at a time. And then if I do want the whole back catalog, I can pay and have a separate app for that. But it's kind of like the, the old school thinking in the podcasting world was like, let's serve the largest audience that we can. And then one monetization option would be for premium things. And whether that be your back catalog or bonus episodes or something like that, that was how they did it more and more as the bigger companies are coming in, they're buying shows like Joe Rogan just got paid. You know, we're speculating, but they, the reports were over a hundred million dollars. They have to make that money back at some point. Now, lucky for them, they made that back immediately, like in the one day stock jump. But uh, realistically, like on, on paper, there has to be a business model to be able to make that back. And they're probably, it's a lot harder to make that back just by trying to sell uh, access to bonus episodes or a back catalog than it is uh, making the entire show exclusive and saying you have to install the Spotify app and there's and then once they have you in that loop now they're going to upsell you on Spotify premium that's a much faster way for them to make that investment back you know it's funny that you actually I didn't know that about Stitcher premium but that was actually the same model that this American life had for a long time they had like the this American life app 
where you paid some amount. I don't remember how much I paid, but you got it and you got access to all of this back catalog of great shows. And you think with, I mean, Rogan has over a thousand episodes, so they could have like thought about going that way. Like we have two, you know, the last two episodes are in the feed. And if you don't listen to them or you want to go back and listen to an older episode, jump into Spotify and that's where it's exclusive. Yeah. Or new shows. One of the things Reply All is doing now, I think their new shows are dropping like for the first week exclusive on Spotify, but then they're going into their standard feed for everybody, which is fine for me because I'm not a Spotify guy. So, but I do like Reply All. So I'm just a week behind, you know, and I'll pay that price. That's fine to not have to install Spotify on my phone. But you do miss out. Like if you're in a circle of friends that you all talk about, listen to reply all every week and you talk about the latest episode. Well, now the cost that you're paying is that you're a week behind everybody. And so sooner or later you might break down, but I love the freedom that that model brings. It's like, if, if you want to support the show in this way or support the app in this way, you can, you still have access to the content other ways. If you don't, maybe there are some additional ads or something in the feed version versus the premium version. They're all interesting. They're all different. My least favorite of all of these is completely locking it all up into one uh, provider and one app and one experience. That's my least favorite. Yeah. I think it'd be kind of helpful to bring this back a little bit for people to understand. This isn't just complaints about like, now I'm going to have to install two to three apps on my phone. Like, it's not just, you know, like, I don't know, app petulance or something where we're just like, oh, I'm tired of this. It's also like the the more that we do this, the more it is these big groups trying to say we want to have complete control over the podcast ecosystem. And I feel like there's a couple things that have happened in the last week where we've seen exactly what we've kind of preached for a year. You know, there are bad things happen when a single tech company has complete control, monopolistic control over a platform. So we kind of want to go into that to kind of talk about what's a little bit at stake right here. Yeah, it's a good transition. One of the things that I think is interesting is just on a, in a small area, um, we all are big fans of Basecamp and we follow all their stuff and read all their books. And they also launched an email service this week called Hey. And it was just like, it's an app. It organizes your email differently. It looks kind of cool. You actually pay. And uh, I got Albin at hey.com. So shoot me an email. I'm excited to see what comes in. <laughs> uh, but you, you know, you get a different email experience. What happened though is they got an app into the app store and Apple has now said like, you cannot update the app and you'll probably be removed from the app store because you have not enabled in-app purchases and in-app purchases um, they're actually saying should be required in this app. And if anyone does an in-app purchase, then you owe us 30% of that cut. And, you know, so this has kind of been a big story. Kev, do you kind of want to jump into this and explain like a little bit more of what's happening? Yeah, I'll do my best job, but Albin's done a pretty good job. Um, Apple provides the app store for anyone who runs an iOS device and, uh, They've slowly but surely over the years continued to be more and more aggressive on the rules that they put around um, payments that are made through apps provided in the app store 
and how much Apple, uh, what is their fair share or so, or that's the argument that they're making. And so it started off with pretty much nothing. Like you didn't have to pay them anything. And then as they've uh, built better and better tools to be able to collect in app purchases and Apple pay and all this other kind of stuff, they've demanded more and more, um, that app builders build the, or or utilize these APIs to build the functionality into their apps. And then if you utilize it, then Apple gets a cut. The Basecamp story is that Basecamp has had apps in the app store for a long time, and they've just never given people the ability to make a purchase. And therefore they never have to pay Apple their 30% because they try to keep their prices as low as they can for their customers. Right. And so if you have to charge your customers or or if you're going to give 30% of your, your revenue to Apple, then you're going to have to charge your customers more, which they don't want to do. Amazon does the same thing. If you've ever used Amazon Prime Video, I think is the name of the app. If you go into Amazon Prime Video and you find a movie that you want to rent on your iPhone, you can't actually rent it through the app. You have to close the app. You can open up a web browser and you can go to Amazon. You can log in. You can rent the movie there and add it to your queue. And then you can go back into your app and then it'll be available to watch. But that's a hoop you have to jump through because of the policies that are in that Apple has made in their store. And so Amazon's saying, hey, the going price to rent a movie is $3.99. We've got to pay so much to the movie studio and everybody else that we can't afford to pay you 30% or there's we're going to lose money on the deal or not have enough money to provide the service. And Apple has not backed down off of that. So if you want to rent a movie on your iPhone through Amazon, you have to do this extra step of going to a web browser to do it. And so this kind of highlights what's at stake here because um, there is no way to get an app onto your iPhone, which is a really large portion of all the phones sold, especially in the United States, it, but around the world is a really large number of phones and there's no way to get apps on it except through the app store. They've always had that restriction. And now they're saying if you're actually selling something and this app helps that service, we want a cut of it. We want you to make it so that we can make money off of your business. And this is the kind of thing that would never fly in anywhere else, especially an area where people had options. It's it's very much like a mob shakedown. It's like, oh, do you want us to protect your business from <laughs> unscrupulous <laughs> characters who may or may not want right. to harm you and your family? We'll take our collection now. You know, it definitely feels like that. Right. Just to be clear, we are not equating Apple to the mafia. Yeah, I was but, about to say. <laughs> but one of the the lead developers and co-founders of Basecamp does do that publicly on his Twitter. So if you want to read all about that opinion, you can go to Twitter slash DHH and <laughs> you will see those analogies that Travis but just uh, that is brought not, to light. It is not the official opinion of Buzzsprout or its subsidiaries. <laughs> it, That's I'm right. I'm merely <laughs> quoting a public figure. Right. But it does highlight like this is something that would never happen if there were options. And the, the reason that this is even a possibility that there's even a shadow of a chance that people, I mean, the, and that small app developers give into it and they give up the 30% is because Apple is so powerful. They have so many phones and the only way to have an app, which is what everyone expects you to have. The only way to have that is to give up 30% to Apple. And so people give into it and that's, you know, they, they accept those terms, but it's only because there's so much pressure put on them and there's no other real option. And this is consistently what happens when someone owns a platform and they have monopolistic control, they do squeeze everybody else. So that most of the value rolls to them. 
So it's not even the indie developer who's getting the value. It's Apple. It's not the YouTube creator. It's YouTube. It's not going to end up being um, the podcast on Spotify. It will be Spotify. And that's why it is actually valuable to have these open ecosystems where if one group starts abusing their power or just does something you don't like, that people are able to say, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm going to bounce over to the other app and do something and do things differently. And when we kind of commit to one platform, that option disappears. And so that takes us right into the next news article, because the question becomes, well, has this happened in podcasting or could it happen in podcasting? You guys are saying Spotify is getting a lot of power. Could they do this? Well, the largest podcast host in China is a company called Shimalaya. They have a U.S. version of the app called Himalaya. And they they made a move this week to try to do something very much like that. Um, they've since backed off of it because there's been a lot of backlash. But the headline for the article says, hand over your advertiser info or be taken down. Shimalaya shocks podcasters. And so what they did was they sent out an announcement to everyone that was on their platform. And they said, hey, if you're monetizing your platform, if you have sponsors, we need to know everything about that deal, how much they're paying, how much you're making, all that stuff. And I, I think with the intent of that they are entitled to some of that revenue. Yeah, I think it was if it crossed a certain threshold, then you had to pay them a percentage beyond that. Yeah. And so I don't know exactly. Again, um, there's we, we have limited information that's been translated to English for us to be able to read and dig into it. But it does sound like they backed off because some of the biggest creators on the platform have said, this is not happening and we're pulling out. And so in the wake of that fallout, they've, they've backed off of it. Um, but it does sound like they, they're going to do something like they're going to f- sit down with the creators and figure out, well, how far can we push you, you know, like without you pulling out. And that's probably where they're going to try to land. Um, so this absolutely could happen in podcasting. It is happening in podcasting in, in China. Um, that system is a little bit different in the way things work over there. And what people are used to is a little bit different than what we're accustomed to in the States, but it's, it's not unreasonable to think that, this could be something that Spotify positions themselves to be able to do or have the power to be able to do a few years down the road. There are other podcast hosting companies. I don't want to call any of them out specifically, but if you're on a different host other than Buzzsprout, read the terms of service because there, we are aware there are podcast hosts that say in their terms of service that if you make money, if you um, do brand deals or have sponsorships on your podcast that don't go through our ad department, we're entitled to some of that revenue. Now, just because it's in the terms of service, that doesn't mean that they're actually enforcing it. But I do know that it is in certain companies' terms of services. I've never heard about their customers actually saying that they're coming after them, but it's still there. So it makes you wonder, like, why is it there if you're not going to enforce it? Or are you waiting to get a certain amount of influence or power before you start enforcing it? Well, there's definitely the app with the Apple stuff. As soon as, um, you know, the Hey team started making a big stink about it, you started seeing a lot of other developers, at least privately. Um, this was Ben Thompson doing reporting, saying like dozens of people are reaching out to him saying, yes, this has been happening to very big apps, to all of us. This has been a shift in Apple's policy and they're really pushing it. And they didn't want to talk about it because they thought it could lead to them getting kicked out of the store or getting some sort of retaliation. And so, you know, the fact that you don't hear about it doesn't mean that it's not happening. It means that 
the companies are kind of being silenced that they don't want to say anything because they know, I guess I have to pay the 30% tax or the 15% tax or whatever it ends up being because I don't want to be the person to get kicked out of the store and have my business um, ruined. Right. That's the power that iOS and the Apple team has right now over uh, iOS app developers is that you could have a great business going and then uh, you violate a policy or something. They say your your latest app update has been rejected. You need to fix this. If you push back and make a public fight about it, you threaten uh, your entire livelihood, your entire business, right? As opposed to just saying, I don't love this, but I've got to do it. I've got to give them 15 to 30% of my revenue that gets sold through the store. It's a bummer, but it's either that or nothing, like right? And so what uh, the, the team at Basecamp is doing, and we're proud of them for doing it, is they're standing up and saying, yeah, like, this isn't right, and we're going to take a stand. And it might mean that our app is not available in the App Store anymore, but somebody has to stand up to this. Somebody has to fight for the smaller app developers. Um, and the, the team at Basecamp are saying, like, we're finally in a position where we're big enough where if, if they kick us out, we're not going to go out of business. And so we'll, we'll take this fight on. Well, one of the real benefits that they have is that they're building, hey, is an email service, which has like IMAP and what, uh, what are the other like, you know, the other technologies that email is based on. They could just say, OK, for people on iOS, you're just going to have the normal mail experience and you can use the Apple Mail app and we won't have an App Store app. Then it won't be as cool as having our own branded app and some of the unique features there, but you still would have something. And the reason they have that fallback is because it's built on a protocol. The all the emails, all email has been built on forever. No one owns email. And that's why they actually have that fallback option where if you were a true just an app like Telegram or something just built on the actual app experience, well, then you kind of have to give in because your entire business is reliant on Apple letting you have that app. Right. So just to be clear, this is what's happening in the app space, not necessarily the podcasting space, but we see that Apple has a ton of power. And so, and it's not working out great for everybody in that world. And then we brought up the Shimlea example of what is happening in the podcasting world, but is happening in China. And then we bring that all the way back to, Hey, we need to keep an eye on Spotify. This is somebody who has a lot of power and is getting more and more power. And it's super concerned. It's great right now because we can log in and we can look at our podcasts and the, the our audience size and how that's continuing to grow and grow and grow. And a lot of it coming through Spotify. And it feels great. Uh, but we should also be concerned that they are starting to get a lot of power. And so when Spotify says, hey, we are due 15 to 20% of whatever revenue you're making on your podcast, are we going to be in a position to stand up and fight against that? Or are we going to say, nope, they've got too much power. I can't risk my entire uh, podcast and everything I built around it to stand up and publicly fight against them. Yeah, exactly. This is not and actually in our notes, but it was something that's kind of popped into my head is um, YouTube has actually started doing more of this as well. Um, they purchased FameBit. I don't remember what it was called before that, but they called purchased FameBit, which was the best way for people to connect brands um, to individual creators on YouTube. And so you'd go on and you'd you know chat with somebody and do a sponsorship deal. And that was actually done outside of YouTube. YouTube could sell you know serve up ads, but there could be a sponsorship baked into the video. 
Well, YouTube bought it and then in the last month has now shut it down. And they're saying Famebit is no longer self-service so that you can't just go directly to a con- to somebody. We're launching a new service, which is where we are helping match you in its full service, which means somebody from Google will like talk to you and say, oh, I understand what you want and then go and do the work um, so that you actually don't have that. Per- I mean, my belief is they are adding some value probably by having a person figure out who to help you connect to. But the other benefit is for YouTube is that you now are not connected and not talking to the creator. So even if you run a couple campaigns with them, uh, you'll never have a, you know, one-to-one talking point and thus you could never set something up without YouTube and Google knowing about it. And yet it's just like example 1000 when somebody has monopolistic power they make decisions that are good for them. When Amazon, when they started getting more and more sales because of coronavirus, what do they do? They drastically cut the affiliate earnings for everyone sending them people. Why? Because there's only one real great place to buy, st- one true great place to buy stuff online. And that's what everyone used for their affiliate revenue. And they didn't diversify. And then they got their all their earnings slashed the minute that Amazon said, hey, we don't need you anymore. Yeah. Um, which know, feels like example 1001 <laughs> example 1001 let's talk about example 1002 because this is a nice transition <laughs> into the podcast that we teased earlier which we've all started listening to the rabbit hole which is a new york times podcast it's been going on for like eight or ten weeks or something like that but i think are they finished now with episode eight was that their final yeah i think it is and i will say new york times i will pay for this podcast get it keep it going this is so good yeah they need to find some another rabbit hole to go down now that they've kind of wrapped up this one. Um, but one of the things that they talk about, and I don't know if we're going to be ahead of you here, Travis, you said you're on episode three or four, but they bring in PewDiePie and they talk about his YouTube experience. And I don't want to do any spoilers, but let's talk about that a little bit because PewDiePie got to the point where he was, they were speculating because he never fully disclosed, but they were speculating he was making around $15 million a year through his this YouTube channel that he built. And then... Um, YouTube basically shut down his monetization like overnight. Yes, I remember that in the the greats was it the YouTube ad purge where they they said this questionable content brands don't want to sponsor it anymore. So we have created an internal set of guidelines for what we deem to be monetizable. And if you don't fit into that, you cannot have access to our ad platform anymore. Yeah, and that's not really a we're not taking a stand with PewDiePie on this. We're saying like. This is this the next example of, hey, when everything you're doing is being run through a platform, you are not truly an independent creator if you're on YouTube and all your money comes from YouTube. You're actually a contract worker for YouTube. And you think you have this connection with the audience. And you do. You have a true, great connection with your audience. But when you don't have an alternate and you can't go somewhere else... Well, now you are actually more similar to just a contract worker for that company. And they pay you really, really well. But the minute that they say, hey, we want to change the deal, when you have no ability to switch and move somewhere else, then you're kind of stuck. And if somebody as big as the biggest or one of the two biggest YouTubers in the world can't leave the platform or doesn't feel the ability to leave the platform then you're very unlikely you with, you know, your smaller YouTube channel will be able to do the same podcasting. If 
Buzzsprout ever tried to do something shady like that with you, the first thing you do is just redirect your feed somewhere else and you'd be done with us in 15 minutes. If a different host did it something bad, you could flip over here in 15 minutes and you could move every two months to get the best deal. And if you wanted, and that is what's good about this is that it keeps everyone honest when nobody has this strong control. Everyone acts decently because they know you have great alternatives as soon as there was only one option. Well, now people start trying to exert their power a little more because they feel they're entitled to more of the share of the earnings. Yep. So we'll definitely keep keep you guys in the loop on uh, industry news that we think is relevant. And, and uh, as always, you know, our, our biggest goal is to help you be successful with your show. And so when we talk about this stuff, it's not to scare you. It's not to, you know, be sensational about something, but it's just to, to make sure that you're well informed. And so you can make decisions about your show that benefit the long-term health and growth and success of what you're trying to build. That's what's most important to us. Well, that does it for this episode of Buzzcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in and listening to us talk about podcasting. If you want to be a part of a community of other podcasters that are trying to help each other and sharing tips and strategies and valuable insights and encouragement, the best way to do that is to join our Facebook group, the Buzzsprout Podcast Community. It's a fantastic place to get all of your questions answered and to celebrate your successes and get any support that you need. That does it for this week, and we'll catch you in the next one.